Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. We are continuing to walk through our core values together this morning, and our message point is the same that it's been throughout this sermon series, the marks of an effective church. That's what we've been looking at. That first church is um, provided a great model for this church to follow after. So far within this series, we have looked at the church defined. And what we know about the church is that it is living. It is organic. The church is more than just bricks and mortar, isn't it? The church is made up of you and I. It's made up of, of, of local body of believers as well as the greater body of believers. We looked at our first core value so far, which is the Word of God. The first church was built upon the Word of God. They gathered around the Word daily for study. They not only gathered around the Word, but they applied the Word to their lives. I love what Hebrews 4, 12 says. It says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In 2 Timothy, Paul said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So what do we know about the Word of God? We know that it is living. We know that it is active. We know that it is more than just um, words on a page. It is the very breath of God on a page. God's Word is not only useful for teaching, but we also read that it provides correction for our lives. When we read God's Word and study God's Word, what does God's Word do? It, 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 it instructs us, but it also corrects us and reveals to us areas of our lives that we need to work on so that we can get into a closer relationship with the Lord. We also looked at um, our second core value, which is this, we value fellowship. The first church lived in community with other believers. They were devoted to the word. They prayed big prayers and powerful prayers. They were generous. They broke bread together like we did this morning through communion. They gathered daily together, and they were a worshiping people, weren't they? They saw people added to their numbers daily. May it be said of Friendship Baptist Church one day that because of the work that we do as a church, both locally and globally, people are being added to the kingdom of God. Our third core value, which we looked at last week, is this. We value prayer. I love what David Platt said about prayer. He said, prayer was a source of life in the early church. It was the air they breathed day in and day out. It was the driving force of what they did. That first church's model for prayer came from the ultimate model of prayer, Jesus. If their model was Jesus, shouldn't our model be Jesus as well? If Jesus, in his, in his flesh, recognized that he had to pray in order to stay in fellowship with God the Father. Shouldn't you and I pray as much, if not more, than what the, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords did? Absolutely. Our core value four that we looked at is we value generosity. This is a generous church. We looked at that last week, your generosity, even last Sunday following each of our worship services was on full display. I sent out an email this week 
thanking you for your generous gifts that you provided your pastors and your staff last week. We are grateful for this church. We're grateful for the work that we do collectively within this community and how our gifts also help reach people around the world. I believe that that first church, when we think about their generosity, I believe that they sold what they did not need so they could be Jesus to those that had a need. Let us be the same. Let's sell what we don't need so that we can be Jesus to those that are in need. Now this morning, we're going to look at our final two core values. So let's look at our focal verse, verses again. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, we read, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Our purpose statement as a faith family is this. We exist to glorify God by becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let us put that mission statement to work on a daily basis. The fifth value that we see in that first church is this. We value worship. In verses 46 and 47 we read, And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If there's ever been a misunderstood word. It is this word worship, isn't it? A little boy was walking into church with with his dad one Sunday. And as they were walking into the foyer of the church, there was some American flags that were posted in the foyer. And the little boy asked his dad, he said, dad, what are those flags for? And his dad looked down at the little boy and said, those flags are put there in honor of the men and women that died in service. And the kid's eyes got real big, and he looked at his father, and he said, in the 8.45 or the 11 o'clock worship service. You know, when we think about worship, often we think about an event that we attend every single week, right? Everything. We need to recognize that worship is more than just singing. Worship is more than us just gathering together in this this room. Worship should be an extension of everything that we do throughout our day, throughout our week and throughout our lives. Everything that we do on Sunday is an extension of worship. The singing, the sermon, our giving, our communion, baptism, prayer, fellowship. I love what John Piper wrote about worship. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is the ultimate, not man. When this age is over, 
And the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God. Missions will be no more. It, was, it is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is a fuel and goal in missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the people and the greatness of God. You and I were created by God to be worshipers of God. Jesus said, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is looking for people that are not just going to worship him at a specific place, but he is looking for people that are going to worship him all of the time. He is looking for people that are going to ascribe great worth to him 24-7. In Isaiah chapter 6, this is a passage of scripture that most of us in this room are very, very familiar with. But, but we read these words um, that Isaiah penned. He wrote, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory what a great passage that is one day you and i are going to be gathered around that throne of god the father and god the son and we too are going to ascribe worth to god in the heavenlies holy holy holy. If we're going to do it in the heavenlies, don't you think we need to do it here as well? What I want us to do next is I want us to look at um, the Psalm chapter 96. And here in this passage, the psalmist provides us with a great picture of worship. Notice the first part is this. We are to worship through praise. In 96.1 we read, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. The first picture of worship the psalmist provides us with is a picture of worship through singing. We, you know, think about just this church. Think about this room. You know, we've invested a great deal of money into making sure that we have a good worship experience every time that we come into this room. We've got speakers. Um, we've got video projectors that work sometimes when storms don't knock them out. Um, we've got um, great technology up in our sound booth. We've got great instruments here on this stage. Everything that is in this room is here to help enhance our time of worship through song. Singing is very, very important. Okay, now for me, I'm tone deaf. Okay, for me, if you ever watch me up here at the front, which I hope you never do, I hope that you're, you know, worshiping the Father. But if you were to ever watch me and it was a song where we were clapping and singing at the same time, I cannot clap and sing at the same time. You get one or the other out of me because otherwise it's going to be bad in both instances. But worship is vitally imp important to help lead us um, 
in, in authentic worship, we've got a worship team week in and week out that is up here for us. We also see, though, in Psalm 96 that worship is so much more than just singing. We see worship through proclamation. Notice what we read in verse 2. We read, sing to the Lord, bless his name. In this part, tell of his salvation from day to day. In verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. In verse 2, we see worship turns into witness, doesn't it? Again, John Piper stated missions exist because worship doesn't. The reason we go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation to the masses is because the masses of people within this world do not worship the one and only true God. So we go to them and share with them. They, and and, and we, we continue to read here in verse 90, our chapter 96, verses 4 and 5, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Every man-made God in this world is a worthless idol, isn't it? All around us, there are people that are ascribing great worth to those things that have been constructed with man's hands, right? I mean, think about Jerry's world, okay? On on game day, a lot of times at, at, at the the not the ballpark, whatever you call that football stadium over there in, in Arlington, AT&T Stadium. There is greater worship that is on stage, on display in that venue than in most of our worship services, right? Why is that? Because people ascribe worth to that which they are passionate about. Let us be as passionate about our God as we are and and, and more passionate about our God than we are the things that are in this world. Our worship, that which we ascribe worth to, needs to be Jesus above all. In verses 6 and 7, we read, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. There is a missionary calling that we have as believers, and that is to go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation. You know, several years ago, I went on a mission trip to India, and of all the trips that I've ever been on, that trip was one of the most heartbreaking trips that I'd ever been on. Everywhere you go, there are pictures of God's. There are monuments dedicated to the gods that they worship. In fact, in Hinduism, there are at least 33 million gods that they can worship. Isn't that heartbreaking? Why do we go into the nations to proclaim the good news of salvation? It's so that we can point the peoples of this world to the one true God, the great I am, and to Jesus Christ. You know, I read this week that almost 70% of evangelical Christians believe that other religions can lead a person to heaven. Think about that for just a moment. There are evangelical believers 
that have trusted in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit that believe there are multiple ways that a person can get to heaven. That means there's a way for Hindus to get to heaven. There's a way for Muslims to get to heaven. There's a way for Buddhists to get to heaven. I don't know what that way is except for, uh, apart from Jesus Christ because Jesus made it abundantly clear. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and, and I'm uh, in the way. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There's one way to God the Father. That is through God the Son. There are not multiple ways. Every world religion that does not worship Jesus above all is leading people to hell, not providing a way for them to gain access to God the Father. In verses 8 and 9, we read this. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. There is one true God. And he is jealous for our worship, right? We also need to worship with anticipation. In 96.10, we read, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the persons with equity. Jesus Christ is coming again, folks. He is coming for those who have come to faith in him. I have no doubt in this room that all of us, if not all of us, the vast majority of us in this room are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are ready for that day when Jesus Christ returns for his church. But there are going to be people on this campus this morning that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that as a result of them hearing the good news of salvation this morning, that they will respond to Jesus and come to Jesus through faith. There is one way to heaven, that is through Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate judge, and one day every single person will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for their lives. Continue reading in verses 11 through 13. We see that the whole world one day will burst into worshipful praise when pondering the judgment of God. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the seas roar, and all that fills it. Let the fields exult, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples in his faithfulness. What we read in that passage of scripture is that one day the heavens will be glad, the earth will rejoice, the seas will roar, the fields will exalt, the trees will sing. What did Jesus say? If, if we don't worship, then the rocks are going to cry out and worship, right? We know that everything that's ever been created by God will one day sing praise to his name. Notice in closing this morning, we're going to look at our final um, core value. It is this. We value outreach. We value evangelism. We value the great commission. When the church was established on the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 after Peter had preached that message of salvation to all those that had gathered around, we read these words. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about three thousand souls. 
Can you imagine that? 3,000 people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior when that first gospel presentation is presented to the masses. Several years ago, well, more than several years ago now, back when I was a youth minister, um, Billy Graham was holding if not his final crusade in the Metroplex, it was one of his final crusades at the old um, Dallas Cowboy football stadium. And I remember taking a group of students and adults to, um, to, to, to listen to, to Mr. Graham preach. And I'll never forget, at the end of his message, after he preached a clear gospel presentation, he invited those in attendance that day to respond to Christ. And I remember people from all over that football stadium getting up, walking away from their seat and walking down onto that football field and surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. Hundreds of people did it. That is the closest glimpse I've ever gotten of, of, of the masses responding to Christ as a result of the preaching of, of the Word of God in one setting. We see in this first church that on day one, 3,000 people would come to faith. But we are told that daily people were being added to the kingdom of God. In verse 47, again, we read, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Think about that. Every single day as a result of the work within that first church, people were being added to the kingdom of God. I want you to know this morning, as I was studying and doing some, some sermon prep for this morning, I, 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 we don't know this for sure, okay? But there was a website that I was looking at that gave an estimate of the number of people that enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ every day. In, on this website, it reported that well over 200,000 people every single day hear the gospel of Jesus Christ preached or shared in a personal setting or a corporate setting. And of those thousands that hear, hundreds of them enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, it reported, I believe, that it was about 270,000 they say hear every day, and over 100,000 of them respond in faith every single day. People are still being added to the kingdom of God every single day as a result of the work of believers, not only here, but around the world. In fact, true Christianity has grown by more than 300 million believers over the past 10 years. About 10 million of those new believers have come from North America as well as Europe. The rest... 290 million are from developing countries like Nigeria, Argentina, India, and China. The Lord is still moving throughout the world, folks. I don't know about you, but I want to join him where he is working. I know he's working within this faith family. I know he's working within this community and within Collin County. He is working and he is moving here He's also working in different parts of this world. We are to take the gospel to the people here as well as to the people there. You and I have been given a God-given mission 
to go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation to the world. We are to preach here and there. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you feel confident when it comes to sharing your faith with another person? You can raise your hand if you want. How many of you feel confident? Okay. Few of you in this room do. How many of you um, shake in your boots every time that you try to share with somebody the plan of salvation? Okay. Some of you fall into that category as well, right? I want you to know this that it is not easy to share the plan of salvation, um, mostly because there is that fear of rejection from that person you share with, right? Please remember. They are not rejecting you. Ultimately, they are rejecting Jesus. The consequences of them rejecting you have temporary ramifications. The consequences of them re rejecting Jesus has eternal consequences, doesn't it? I think it's worth it for us to share with those that don't know Jesus the plan of salvation. It's worth it for us to point people to Jesus that don't have Jesus because we care so much about their eternity. Let's be obedient and share the good news of salvation. Um, here's what I want us to do in closing this morning. Okay, I want us to take a few minutes. All right, um, This is going to be a time of teaching. Okay, I'm not the best teacher, but we're going to take a moment to, to, to learn how to share our faith with someone else. And we're going to use the example of a, an evangelism strategy called the one-verse evangelism. And I know that, that I've shared this with you before, um, but I want us to look at this again because when it comes to sharing the plan of salvation, I really don't think there is an easier way um, for us to provide a visual um, example of what Christ provides um, in a relationship with another person. It's, it's a great tool and easy for us to learn, and it's a great tool that will be helpful visually for someone without Christ to understand what Christ did for them. So what I want you to do, hopefully everybody got a bulletin, okay? At the bottom of your bulletin here, there is a, there's a little diagram, okay? Um, hopefully you have a pen. If you don't have a pen, um, then... Um, right in blood. I don't know what to tell you. Um, if you don't have a pen, find me afterwards. I'll help you. Um, I, I can send you this email presentation as well, and it will help you as a tool to kind of walk through this and learn this. Okay, so here's what you, we have here. It is the one-verse evangelism. Okay, the scripture, which I want to encourage you to memorize, is for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, this is a tool that you can use wherever you're at. If you've got a, piece of, a blank piece of paper, you can write this scripture on the top of that page. And not only can you write that scripture on the top of the page, but you can also um, write this or fill out this diagram. Very simple diagram. You've got um, three boxes over here. Three boxes right here. You've got a cross that you create in the middle. You got a little stick finger, stick finger, stick figure right here, and and then there's another box down here. Real simple diagram. Um, learn this, memorize this, because it will be help when, helpful whenever you share it with another person. Okay. So the first thing that you want to do, okay, is you want to circle at the top this word wages. Okay. Circle wages. Hit the button to the right, 
it will circle our block wages, and then it will then write the word wages right here in this top left box. Okay, so you write the word wage there, and and you ask the person. Okay, how do you feel if if your boss refused to pay you on on a particular payday? Well, we know what we would feel. We'd be pretty upset, right? Because what is a wage? A wage is something that we get as a result of something that we do, right? So, so a wage is there. Underneath that um, and up above here, circle the word sin and write the word sin inside that box. Well, we know what a sin is, right? Ask that person that you're sharing with, what is a sin? And, and they're going to come up with a, a plethora of answers there. Okay, but, but what we want them to know is that a sin is something that we commit that separates us from God. The word sin literally means to miss the mark, to miss the mark of God's standard for our lives. So we want them to understand what a wage is, what a sin is, and then in this last box, we want to write the word death. Okay, When, when people hear the word death, we want to ask them the question, first of all, what do you think about when you hear the word death? And they're probably going to say something like, that's what happens to a person, um, you know, after they get to the end of their lives. It it's represents finality. It represents the end. It represents, you know, just, just for some people, they're going to say, man, you die and that's it. Some people recognize that we have a soul. They don't understand where the soul goes but, but, but they understand what death is, okay? So we want to talk to them about death, all right? When you think about this side over here, as you're talking with someone and interacting with them, some of the conversations that you have with that person may be pretty grim, pretty bleak. It may seem pretty hopeless, right? But there is a beautiful word that is, 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 is in this verse. It is a transition word called but. We want to write the word but down here, Okay? So we go from talking about finality and grimness to talking about hope. This word but provides hope. The next word that we want to write here is the word free gift. Everybody knows what a gift is. You want to ask the person, what is a gift? They're going to say, well, a gift is something that you receive on your birthday. That's something you receive at Christmas. You want to ask them, when you receive that gift, do you pull out your pocketbook and pay that person for that gift? They're going to say, no, that's crazy. Because a gift represents something that's free. It is a no-strings-attached thing. So we want them to understand that the free gift of God, so we want to put the word God, free gift to every single person on the planet. We want that person to understand that God's love for them is a free gift, and it is the free gift of eternal life. So we want to write the word eternal life right there. So when you look at this diagram up to this point, you want them to understand what eternal life is about. Ask them, man, when you think about eternity, what do you think about? Man, they're probably going to say, man, I think about, you know, us living on for all of eternity. I may not, they may not understand what that means, but for some of them, they're going to get an understanding that they're going to live on, okay? So talk to them about eternity. Talk to them about an eternal relationship with, with, with God the Father, what that's going to look about look like. You can talk to them about heaven, what you know about heaven. But what we want to do is we want to get them back to this diagram, okay? We want them to see on this side here, there is this word death. There is a person that's way over here, 
okay? And this is who that person is without Christ. They're living a hopeless life, and they're on a collision course with hell, right? But there is hope that is on this side. So we want to ask them, how do you think you get from here to here? And ultimately, we know the answer to that. It's through Christ Jesus. So we want to write the word across here, Christ Jesus. We want them to understand that there is one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son. Christ provides a bridge over this chasm. And, and if I was um, de- like doing this diagram with someone, I would actually have left the cross out up until till this point. I would have drawn the cross at the point of introducing Christ to them because they could kind of see that chasm right here. And so you draw the cross here. You do it however you want to, but you draw the cross here. And, and, and at this point, you want them to understand who Christ is, that Christ came to this earth, provided a way for, for every man, woman, student, and child and enter into a relationship with God the Father. And we do that at the moment that we repent of our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. When we make Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives, what, why do we put Lord up here? Because Lord Jesus Christ is above all, right? We want Christ to be the Lord of our lives. And when we share the plan of salvation with somebody, we want them to understand that entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ is more than praying a, a sinner's prayer. It's more than asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins. It's so much more than that. It is us making a commitment that we are going to make. Christ, the Lord of our lives, the King of our lives. He is going to be worthy of our worship, and we're going to proclaim him to the nations. That's, that's the gospel presentation. So this right here is the one-verse evangelism. So as you lead somebody, and I know that we're doing this on a very short, I, I've, I've shared this with you in seven minutes, okay? Um, if I was training you to share that, I would take at least 14 minutes, okay? Um, we don't have time to, to go all the way across, but what we do want is this last, I'm sorry, Mike, I forgot to put that in there. Thanks, Mike. Um, we want people to understand at the end of this that there is a way for them to get from here to here. That is through Christ Jesus. At this point, we would want to ask that person, hey, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they're going to say yes or they're going to say no. If they say no, then you're going to say, would you like to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? And hopefully they say yes. If they say yes, then what you want to do is you want to lead them to pray a prayer where they ask Christ to forgive them of their sins and they also confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is, is Savior and Lord of their lives. And the Bible says that if we do that, we shall be saved. So we want to point people to Jesus, point people into an eternal relationship with Jesus, and provide them a way that they can um, gain access to God the Father. That's the one-verse evangelism this morning. Um, and and. I would love to share with you more about this. If you've got questions, if you want me to um, send you this email diagram, let me know. Email me, and I'll reply with this diagram, and that will help you as you learn learn it, okay? Um, so this morning, what we've done is we've looked at worship um, as our fifth core value, and we've lear- looked at evangelism as our sixth core value. Um, let us be a church that is committed to 
being people of the word, being people committed to living in community with one another, being people of prayer. Let's be generous with what the Lord has given us. Let us be people of worship, and let us also be soul winners. Let me challenge you this week, okay? In response to our six core value, I want to challenge you to tell one person this week that Jesus loves them, okay? If, if, if you want to take that a step further and you want to share the plan of salvation with someone, we all need to be doing that. But for some of us, just telling someone that Jesus loves them scares us to death because we don't know how they're going to respond. So let me challenge you to start small, let people know that Jesus loves them, and then come back around and share the plan of salvation with them when the Lord provides an opportunity for that. Let's stand together. Um, we're going to enter into a time of, of, of um, invitation. If there's something that I can pray with you about, I'll be here at the front. If, there's, if you need to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning for salvation, I will be here at the front. Um, otherwise, let me challenge you. Let's just bow our head and close our eyes during this time of invitation. And I want to challenge you to pray for the Lord to reveal to you this week who you need to tell them that Jesus loves them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that it's been to walk through our six core values. Thank you for this morning as we've looked at worship as well as outreach. Help us to be a people that worship you well, and may the extension of our worship of you be that we tell the masses of the goodness that comes with a relationship with you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.